Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 29 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. And in this episode, we're talking about the mystery of time travel. And uh, to, before we begin, I want to let everyone know this is the first Mysterious World episode whose topic has been chosen by our patrons at patreon.com. For those who support the show financially, uh, we give them the opportunity to select one of the topics per month. And this month is the first time we've done that. And they chose this topic of time travel. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, time travel, uh, it's a common concept. We've, we've, we've seen it in a lot of science fiction shows and uh, movies, and I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's become a trope, uh, a standard device. Um, traveling to the past or traveling to the future, uh, every, every sci-fi series has, has had time travel, it seems like. Uh, but is it really possible? Uh, is it just fiction or could someday somebody time travel, um, maybe build a, a TARDIS <laughs> like the like the doctor uses in Doctor Who to, to travel in uh, throughout space and time? Uh, most people, you know, I'd say many people, most people say, oh, no, that's just fiction. That's just crazy. Uh, but maybe maybe we could. Well, that's what we're talking about today on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, uh, I understand that the the. The claims about uh, and counterclaims about time travel go beyond whether it's possible or not possible. So what is claimed about time travel? Well, before about 1900, uh, a lot of people would have said it's not possible to travel in time. There was already a little bit of time travel fiction by that point. Um, but in terms of it being taken seriously there, uh, you know, it really wasn't. The idea was, well, we move forward into the future at a fixed rate and that's just it. So you really can't travel into either the future or the past. With the discovery of Einstein's theories of relativity, though, uh, it became clear that time was not an absolute. And this raised the possibility of time travel. And so today you have a diversity of opinion. Um, some, uh, people, uh, talk, including respectable scientists will talk about ways that it could be possible to travel into the past. Uh, there have been attempts to, uh, do such things on a laboratory scale, on the small scale. Um, there's, there are some people who will just, and this is not the most scientifically informed perspective, who will say it's not possible to travel either to the future or the past. Others will say, no, there is a way we could travel to the future um, in a meaningful sense where you get to the future, a point in the future in less time than it takes most people to get there. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but it's not possible to travel to the past. And then other people will say, no, there's nothing in the laws of physics that prevents travel to the past and whatever is not prohibited is inevitable. So um, so there should be ways we could travel to the past, at least potentially. Interesting. So uh, 
And when we say travel to the future, we all travel into the future. I think you kind of mentioned, but we're doing it one second at a time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And but some people think you could we could skip ahead, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. interesting. In one way or another. One Mm -hmm. way or another. All right. So what do we know about, say, let's say about time? What do we know about time itself? Well, not as much as we'd like. Uh, Time is something that we really don't have a good handle on yet. Um, And that's led to a number of different theories about how time works. The first theory is sometimes called presentism. And this is sort of the naive theory that a lot of people have. Um, Naive, I just mean the starting point theory. I don't mean it naive in the pejorative way, but it's just Mm -hmm. kind of the common sense view that a lot of people have that the present is all that it's is all that's real. That's why it's called presentism. Uh, the past used to be real, but isn't anymore. And the future is not yet real. So all that's real is just the present. And it's fairly easy to uh, give people that idea. Um, the alternative, because we do think about the past and the future as if they were real, I mean, we remember the past mm-hmm. and we plan for the future and we imagine the past and we imagine the future. Um, we think about them as if they're real. And so that's kind of the uh, the second perspective. It's called eternalism. Um, eternalism is the idea that the past, the present and the future are all real. They're all out there. We just happen to be experiencing one slice of that reality that we call the present and the slice of reality that we experience moves. And so we experience different moments in the past and the future as the present leaves them and catches up to them. So that's eternalism, the idea that the past and the future are also real. Sometimes people will characterize eternalism as the belief that time is an illusion, lunchtime doubly so, (laughs) but... But that's not really a necessary part of this view. It's not that time is an illusion. Time is real. It's just we're experiencing one chunk of it only at a given moment. And we call that moment the present. Um, the, uh, The third theory is sort of a hybrid between presentism and eternalism. It's called the growing block theory. And the idea is that because we remember the past, It's already fixed, and therefore you could conceive of of time as if it was a block that grows um, as history progresses. And Mm -hmm. so the past and the present are both real, even though we only have access to the present, and the future is not real. The future is still yet to be. And so as history progresses, we grow into the future, and the block gets taller and taller. One view that I have thought of, but I've never heard anyone else talk about, is what you might call the shrinking block view. Um, I could imagine the reverse of the growing block view. Uh, you could say, well, no, the 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 past is no longer there because it's fixed. Uh, it's it, it it it's no longer there. What's real are the possibilities we have in the present and the future. And so actually the present and the future are real, but as we commit ourselves to particular potentialities by making particular choices and causing particular events to happen, that sort of neutralizes all of those possibilities and so the the past is reduced to no possibilities and all the possibilities are here in the present and the future. Mm. 
it, it seems to me that this uh, relates in many ways to our recent episode on multi the multiverse mysteries. Uh, yes, the, about probabilities and stuff. So, uh, folks, make sure you've listened to that episode. To, to, I'm sure you have, but uh, it's, yeah. I have to say it anyway. But uh, but if you're new to the show, go back and listen to that because that'll help with some of what we're discussing now. So, uh, given these theories, uh, are scientists today looking at possible ways of, of of taking advantage of these ways of looking at time to come up with ways of of traveling in time? Actually, they are. Um, they tend not to talk about it in terms of time travel. This is something I was reading in a book uh, by Stephen Hawking that he wrote a number of years ago. Um, he pointed out that when scientists write papers about time travel, they use euphemisms like saying they're researching closed time-like curves. Mm. And a, a closed time-like curve is a path through space and time that would return you to an earlier point in history. But because uh, research grants typically are not given to things explicitly labeled <laughs> time travel, um, they, uh, they, they kind of use this alternative jargon of closed time-like curves to talk about it so that they can get their grants without embarrassing the people who are giving the grants. You know, one thing that occurs to me, and um, you, stop me if, if you're going to talk about this in a bit, but this somewhat kind of relates a little bit to Einstein. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Predicting the future. Um, yeah. the, the Einstein relativity, uh, you know, r regarding um, how time com uh, compresses the closer you get to the speed of light or the perception yeah. of time. Um, is is that play into any of this? Is what oh, we yeah. talk about that? And and we will be talking about that. Awesome. Yes. Okay. Just thought I'd mention that now. So, um, so what are some of the objections that people bring up to the idea or the possibility even of time travel? Well, um, one objection is based on the idea of presentism, because if only the present is real, then obviously you can't travel to the past or the future because they don't exist. And so some people would say, based on my view of presentism, I don't think time travel is possible. Uh, you could draw a similar objection to um, from the growing block perspective. You could say, OK, um, if only the past and the present are real, then maybe you could travel to the past, but you couldn't travel to the future, at least in certain ways. You couldn't travel to the future because it doesn't yet exist. Um, but those Objections are really philosophical rather than scientific in nature because we don't have good scientific evidence of which theory of time is true. We don't understand it well enough. Most physicists tend to support eternalism, the view that the past, present, and future are all equally real, because that seems to um, seems to cohere well with the equations that we have describing natural phenomena, um, they don't seem to be, they don't seem to indicate any special favored status for the moment we call the present. But that's not the same thing as having rigorous proof or a demonstration that the past and the future are real. So there's something called the uh, the grandfather paradox, which is, uh, has, has actually come up in some science fiction uh, about someone traveling mm -hmm. back in time and becoming their own grandfather. Uh, killing how, their grandfather, typically. Oh, uh, yes. I'm sorry. That's yeah. I was thinking of something, that's something else. But killing their grandfather, which prevents them from being born um, right. and creating a paradox, so uh, which could, would prevent them from killing their grandfather. So uh, can you talk about that a little bit in relation to this? 
Yeah. So the grandfather paradox is another objection that's been raised to the idea of time travel, uh, because if you could travel into the past, you might kill your grandfather before your father is born. Then your father is not born, which means you're not born, which means you can't go back and kill your grandfather. So your grandfather continues living, gives birth to your father or fathers your father, your father fathers you, then you do go back and kill your grandfather. And you get this kind of contradictory loop. And so the questions are, how could the grandfather paradox be resolved? Well, um, one way to do it would, and I don't see this one discussed very much, one way to do it would be to say, okay, all those things happen. You have a time loop. And you just get stuck in a time loop. So history plays out. You live. You kill your grandfather. Then you have a new time loop where you don't live. Then your grandfather survives. Then you do live. Then you go back. And it's just a time loop. Um, so I don't see why that can't happen. Um, the grandfather paradox seems to presuppose that there is only one timeline and that you can't that it can't loop back on itself in this way. But if it can loop back, well, that solves the problem. Um, another way of solving it is to propose what's been called a chronology protection principle. Um, uh, sometimes this is called or a version of this is called the Novikov self-consistency principle, which was proposed by a Russian physicist named Novikov, who proposed that whatever timeline exists must be self-consistent. And the idea here is that if you did go back in time and tried to kill your grandfather, something would happen to prevent you from doing that um, because the, it's already been established that your grandfather did live to sire your father who then sired you. And so you can't undo things that are part of history. You can go back and participate in what happened maybe but you can't change things in history. So, so that's mm -hmm. so in that case, what it means is that um, there's a sort of um, uh, timeline determinism, or is it only just the saying that since the past is real, you mm -hmm. can't you can't go back and change it in a way that changes the future. It, it, the way this is normally understood, and it's possible to understand it both ways, but one way it's commonly understood is to say, okay, if you go back in pa into the past, you are always part of the past. Right. You're not really changing the past. You're just participating in the past. Right. And so everything you did in the past was always done in the past. And since your grandfather did survive to sire your father, whatever you did in the past did not result in his death. Okay. Okay. The the difficulty with that is it's counterintuitive, because if you imagine going into the past, it, it seems weird to say, well, if I pulled out a gun and shot my grandfather, something would happen to stop me from being able to do that. There's some weird force in the universe preventing that from happening. Um, and so it's the objection to the chronology protection principle is that it seems counterintuitive because it seems like if we did go back into the past, we'd have the same freedom to act that we do in the present. Okay. And this would seem to deny that. So that leads to the third solution for the grandfather paradox, <clears throat> which is the diverging timelines hypothesis. Right. The idea here is that when history originally played out, you were not part of it. So your grandfather did 
live to sire your father. He did live to sire you. And when you go back, you branch off a new timeline from the moment you appear. So even though it looks like the past that your grandfather lived in, it's actually a new version because now you've been added. And it you do have the same freedom to act you normally would. And so if you kill your grandfather, well, then you will not be born in that new divergent timeline. But in the original prime timeline, Romulus still blew up. And <laughs> and so you have not you've just branched off from that timeline now. Say goodbye to it. And Vulcan did not. Uh, so yes. spoilers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, given what, you know, one of the objections someone could could bring up to time travel is, okay. so let's say time travel is possible at some point in the future. There must be time travelers who will be traveling. Where are they? Why haven't they come? Why don't we know? Why don't we meet time travelers? Yeah. So this is a kind of updated version of the Fermi paradox, which is where are all the aliens if if alien life exists? We did an episode on that earlier. Yep. Um, So this is the same sort of thing. If time travel is possible, where are all the time travelers? Well, um, I don't think this objection is as strong as the Fermi paradox when applied to aliens, because it, it seems pretty. I mean, if intelligent life is at all common, then given the age of the universe and the possibility of space travel, you would expect aliens to, you know, be able to colonize the galaxy in a few million years. Um, so, so there's some punch to the question, where are they? But in terms of time travel, well, it may be possible. I can think of at least, you know, four main major solutions to this. Number Mm -hmm. one, maybe it's possible, but it never gets invented. If it never gets invented, then even though the laws of physics allow it and someone could do it, well, that would explain the lack of time travelers. Another possibility is, well, maybe it's possible but it's really hard. And so consequently, um, it it doesn't get done very often. And because it's so hard, like and it, if it like it would require the energy of a, of a sun to be sucked out of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. OK. Yeah. And so it's it. So um, so if it's really hard, it may not be done very often. And if it's not done very often, then you wouldn't expect to meet time travelers. Um, another possibility is that it may require, and this is kind of a variant of the really hard issue. It may only be possible in certain places. Um, this is something we'll talk about when we start discussing the ways you could travel into the past. But suppose that, um, you can only travel into the past if you have to fly far out into space and fly around a cosmic string and come back. Well, that could be so laborious and energy consumptive that it doesn't happen very often. And so you won't meet many time travelers. Um, Then uh, the next theory is maybe time travelers like aliens have a prime directive. They're deliberately trying not to interfere with history because they don't want to mess it up. Um, they may want to research it. Maybe they send around little spy drones that are subatomic, but they Mm -hmm. don't want to interfere overtly. Um, and in fact, there have actually been attempts to like hold, to attract time travelers, to like lure them out of the shadows. Uh, back in 1982, for example, there was a chrononauts convention in Baltimore 
And there have been other ones, too, where they've tried to they've advertised and say, hey, here's a time traveler meetup. If you're a time traveler from the future, come here and it'll be an awesome party or something. Um, but thus far, we haven't had any verified time travelers. I think there's Stephen course, Hawking uh, had one of those parties uh, uh-huh. where he invited time travelers to, to come to uh, to a party at his house. So yeah. Maybe they were busy. Maybe they were busy. <laughs> or um, then there's the last possibility, which is just like you have in the Fermi paradox. Maybe they are here and they have made contact. And some people like John Teeter, who was a guy back in the 1990s that claimed to be a time traveler, maybe they're real. Hmm. And we'll probably be talking about John Teeter in a future episode, but uh, this will lay the foundation for that. So just like some people say, oh, the, the aliens are real and they have come here. Uh, well, maybe same thing is true of time travelers. They have come here, too. And occasionally they've broken cover and said hi. <laughs> right. And, we, and we've ignored them because we thought they were crazy. Yeah. Uh, um, so so are there other arguments about uh, about the time travel that we should consider before we get into the perspectives? Yeah, well, one argument that I encountered, I think this came from the science fiction writer Larry Niven. I think I remember reading it in his essay on time travel. Um, There was kind of a practical impossibility argument for time travel, and it went like this. The laws of physics may allow time travel to occur, and uh, so we imagine history playing out and someone invents time travel, and then they go back in the past and they change history, leading to a new timeline. Well, there's a finite chance that time travel will be invented in that new timeline, but it's not a certainty. And so if you allow enough timelines to play out, eventually you'll hit one where nobody invents time travel. And thus there's a kind of practical impossibility of time travel because thereafter there will be no new timelines. And uh, so so there's a, a sense in which even though it's a, it's allowed by the laws of physics, there will be a timeline in which nobody invents it. And therefore, it's a practical impossibility. Huh. My rejoinder to that argument would be, OK, so what? Then there's lots of timelines potentially where it did get invented. And how do we know we're not living in one of them? So even if there is a final timeline where nobody invents it, that doesn't show we're living in that timeline. And therefore, there's no reason we shouldn't try. Okay. Okay. So, um, so what is the you know? So, what do we say about this uh, about travel to the past then? Uh, in the yeah. in this context, well, um, what is pretty well agreed in the physics community these days is that there doesn't seem to be a law against traveling to the past, and not one that we can find and scientifically support, and so. That the question then is, what do you make of that? Well, some physicists have a saying that everything that isn't impossible is mandatory, that creation is the universe is so rich and so vast that everything that can happen eventually will. And so, as long as there's not a law prohibiting it, maybe it's inevitable. But most scientists are skeptical of that. Most scientists look at the idea of travel to the past as if this is a real long shot, guys. It, it's not a pra- certainly not a practical possibility for us right now. And it, it may never be a practical possibility for us, even if we can't prove it's impossible right now. OK. All right. So so that seems like it's sort of a comprehensive look at the, at the current state of what we know about the idea of time travel. 
So let's let's get into our perspectives, examine the, these claims and counterclaims of what we know from these perspectives of faith and reason. So let's start with faith. Um, you know, as Christians, we, we the way we think of God, we, and, and you can correct me if I, if I'm imprecise on this, but we say that God sees all of the past, present, and future. He is present to all of it at once. So does that imply that eternalism is the correct theory of how time works? Well, it. It certainly is suggestive of that. Now, there are people who are Orthodox Catholics who don't buy eternalism um, and who think presentism is true. Personally, and I've tried to think through that perspective, and I don't see how God's eternity doesn't imply eternalism for for time. Um, this is something actually that Christians have thought about for a long time. In fact, if you read science books about time, they will talk about how St. Augustine was uh, one of the early thinkers who wrote the most about this. So St. Augustine gets talked about in physics books um, precisely in regard to time, because Hmm. in his writings, he discusses it extensively. Um, Another early figure was the philosopher Boethius. Um, who lived about the same time as Augustine. And it was from Boethius that we got the uh, classic definition of what eternity is. Eternity, according to Boethius, and the way the term is normally used in Catholic theology, doesn't mean an unending stretch of time. Instead, the eternity that God has is, according to Boethius, the simultaneously whole and perfect possession of interminable life. So God has interminable life, that's the interminable part, it's infinite, but he has it in a simultaneous whole that is perfect. So he doesn't experience it moment by moment like we do. Instead, he experiences limitless life all at once. And so that's what we mean when we say God is outside of time. In contrast to to creatures, Mm -hmm. this is something I should point out. A lot of people have the idea that like when we die, we go into eternity. And it's true that we have eternal souls in the sense our souls will be everlasting. But it is not true that we leave time and go become timeless the way God is. Um, One of the things the church teaches, and this is something John Paul II discussed, um, is that all creatures are marked by time. It's only God who is literally outside of time. Hmm. Um, And this is something, by the way, I've written about, and I've walked through the arguments for why I think divine eternity implies that history, that time is also, uh, all of its parts are real, past, present, and future. So eternalism is real in that sense. Um, You can read about that. uh, We'll have links in the show notes to some articles I've written on that subject. To give you just one, though, um, if you imagine, suppose presentism is true, and so you have God sitting outside of time, and he creates the first moment of time, and God knows that the first moment of time is real. Let's call it 1201. Mm -hmm. And then God creates the second moment of time. We'll call it 1202. Well, If um, only the present moment is real, then 1202 is all that's real. And God knows that 1202 is real. But a minute ago, he knew that 1201 was real. And so 
time is progressing for God. If God knows that 1201 is real, and then he knows that only 1202 is real, and then he knows that only 1203 is real, then God is not truly outside of time because time is progressing for him. His knowledge is changing of what is real as history changes. And that means God is changing. And if God is changing, God is not outside of time. Therefore, if God is outside of time, 1201, 1202, and 1203 all have to be real simultaneously for God to know them in an unchanging fashion. Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So um, so consequently, now, if you're a, a person of faith and you think presentism is real, then you would say, okay, well, then you can't travel to the past or to the future. But if you're like me and you say, no, um, uh, all of the different phases of time are real at once, then hypothetically you could travel to them. So has this been a topic of discussion among theologians, this idea? Have they addressed it like scientists uh, uh, pretend to? Or yeah. pretend that they don't? <laughs> yeah. um, they have actually. Um, one argument, uh, I, and it's been discussed periodically down through history, one thinker who discussed it back in the Middle Ages was St. Thomas Aquinas. Of course. In the 1200s. <laughs> He talked about the possibility, uh, it it was framed in in faith terms, could God change the past? Hmm. And this is something that, you know, there's been a lot of questions about divine omnipotence. What can God do? And given that he's all powerful. And Aquinas would point out that, well, God can't do things that involve logical contradiction. So he can't make four-sided triangles. Because a triangle, by definition, has four sides. He can't make married bachelors because right. a bachelor, by definition, is unmarried. So if you say things like a four-sided triangle or a married bachelor, that's just gibberish. It may sound like it means something, but really it involves a logical contradiction. So it's just nonsense. And so consequently, it's not a thing that could exist. And therefore, it's not a thing that God could create because it couldn't exist. And so Aquinas um, considered, well, could God change the past? And he thought that would amount to one of these contradictions. So if in the original version of history, Socrates is sitting, could God change the past so that Socrates is not sitting? And given that Socrates did sit, He's, he argued for Socrates to sit and not sit would be a logical contradiction. Therefore, God couldn't change the past. So he had a kind of chronological uh, pr- chronology protection principle hmm. in mind. What Aquinas and others didn't, as far as I'm aware, see from that is that would not prevent travel to the past. That would just mean that, that a chronology uh, protection principle applies. They also didn't envision the modern quantum branching view where you go back and it it creates a new timeline. So there's more than one past. And now you're just traveling down a different timeline. So they didn't have the conceptual apparatus yet to to envision those, but they were interacting with those questions. So I would agree, and this is something I remember discussing back in grad school in philosophy, I would agree with Aquinas, if there's a timeline where Socrates sits, God cannot unmake that timeline. That timeline is real. But that doesn't mean God can't have a new timeline where Socrates doesn't sit 
And it doesn't mean that you can't go back and be dancing around Socrates while he's sitting. It just means you were always doing that in that timeline. So time travel and even, quote unquote, changing the past would still be possible in the form of branching off a new timeline. Quick refresher from our multiverse discussion. Um, The same person in different timelines is still the is still one individual. Same person. did. It, that's a trickier question. Okay. Um, uh, I probably, think maybe we refer, refer people to go back to that episode to, to get the fuller explanation of that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, that would take us uh, on, a, on a on a tangent we've already covered. So just, yeah. I just wanted, because I, I felt like people might, it might come up for some folks. So go back mm-hmm. and check that out. Uh, so other questions come up related to time and faith. Uh, one of those is, is when we get married, we, you know, we, we commit uh, in the vow to till death do us part, um, yeah. and and so, um, what did what what does that say about the possibilities in time of of marriage and our spouses? Yeah, you could think of this as the river song problem. Um, <laughs> what do you, what happens to marriage if you're if you're traveling around in time? Well, um, so at a given moment in my life, I agree to marry. I mean, and I'm gonna. Spoiler warning or spoiler, sweetie, Um, (laughs) there I think the answers to these questions are open theologically. I don't think that the that theology has progressed to the point that we have firm answers here. Okay, Um, but suppose I'm I marry my wife and then I I travel to the future where she has passed on. Well, if I did that in a conventional way, let's say I uh, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but um, let's say I get in a spaceship and I fly at relativistic speed. So time slows down for me and I experience five years on the spaceship. But when I come back, it's been 100 years on Earth and my wife has passed on. Am I still married? No, Um, that would seem to be analogous to. Um, to just one spouse outliving another. So then what if I have a wormhole that goes 100 years in the future, but I don't exist in the intervening time? I just step over this threshold and suddenly it's 100 years later and my wife is dead. Am I still married? Again, it would seem no. I would seem to be free to remarry someone else. But then suppose I, I step back through that wormhole and my wife is still alive. Am I still married to her? That's a trickier question. Mm. But it seems to me, and this is my just my my guess, it seems to me I'm married to my to my wife because um, I agreed to marry her at a certain point in my life until one of us died and she's not dead in this time zone. So in this time zone, I'm married to her. Um, What if I married someone in the future while I was there? Am I married to that person? The answer would seem to be no, because that person may not even be born yet. And I haven't reached the point in that person's timeline where I'm married to them. Hmm. So this would seem to be a kind of cross case of a normal person being married to one person who dies and then after a period marrying another person. 
uh, later on. So you can have sequential spouses. You just can't have them at the same time. Um, the weird case would be, suppose my future wife steps back through the porthole with me. Who am I married to now? Mm. Because I've got a present wife I seem to be married to, and I've got a future <laughs> wife who's here with me that I also seem to be married to. And this is where it gets really weird and really undefined. And I don't have a clue at this point. I need to think about it more. All I know is you're in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, another variation on that. Suppose uh, I'm not traveling to the future. Suppose I'm traveling to the past. Well, if I travel to before my wife is born, it would seem I'm not married to her because she doesn't yet exist. On the other hand, if I travel to a period after she's born, but before we got married, then I'm not married to her in that time period. I mean, she made it. Let's say she's five years old. Yeah. You know, she's not capable of marriage yet. So I'm certainly not married to her because at her at this point in her life, she has not agreed to marry me. Right. You could then pose the uh, similar case of suppose I'm going back to when my wife was five, but I bring my my future wife or my present wife with me back to when she was five. Well, it seems I'm married to the adult version of her who has by that point agreed to marry me, but I'm not married to the child version of her who has not agreed to marry me and is not capable of marrying me. Okay. So I go... Well, just another. Here's the Outlander question, the, uh, uh -huh. the TV series. Uh, I travel back to uh, 18th century Scotland and I, uh, I'm, I'm married when I leave the 20th, 21st century. I get to the 18th century. I marry an 18th century woman. Uh, then my 21st century wife shows up. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, well, that's essentially the one that I that yeah. I mentioned before about suppose I bring my future wife with me back to the past and I've right. where I'm married to my original wife. This is just the inverse of that. Yeah. So we're predating. So we're in a period of time that predates my marriage to my 21st century wife mm -hmm. in one sense, but my, uh, but in my, from my perspective, that, that 17th century marriage post dates that. Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm it's, <laughs> it, 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 it's very confusing, but in this yeah. case, we're distinguishing um, there's been a moment in my timeline where I legitimately married my wife from the 21st century. Right. And in both my timeline and her timeline, our life history, right. we're after that point. So if we're together alive in the same time frame and we've previously in our personal history agreed to marry each other, then we seem to be married. So we could move back and forward in time together and we're still going to be married. Right. Um, the question is, if I've also, if I've been separated from her in time and as to where I was not married to anybody in this time, overall time frame, and I marry somebody else, what happens when, uh, mm. when we bring those two spouses together? And that's the hard to parse question that I need to think about more. And mm. uh, I don't know that theology, the principles currently developed in theology have a good answer to. And some of it depends on the ability to travel back and forth, as yeah. you say. If if travel through time, uh, skipping moments is possible, but it's only a one way journey, that would have mm -hmm. a different uh, result right. in that answer to that question. Okay, all right. So, um, are there other questions yeah, there, related to there, faith? 
There's another faith-related question which uh, I sometimes get, and it's what happens to the sacraments if you go to pre-Christian times? So let's suppose you and a priest are in a time capsule and you appear in dinosaur times long before Jesus instituted the sacraments. Mm -hmm. Could the priest perform the Eucharist? Could he validly baptize somebody? Um, and this is something that, again, I, I mean, there are different possible answers. You could say, well, yes, he could, because he's from a time that these have been instituted in. He was duly ordained in that time. So he has the capacity and God's power is infinite. So he could do it in these times. On the other hand, you could say, nope, God doesn't empower this to happen until after the time of Christ. So even though he theoretically has the ability to do it, he can only do it in post-Christian times. Okay, And, and we don't have a good way of distinguishing which of those basic answers is correct, as far as I can tell. There is um, one uh, element, uh, the Immaculate Conception. Uh, don't we say that uh, Christ's redemptive act of, of, the, of the, uh, the crucifixion and resurrection is retroactively applied to Mary? Yeah, um, true, uh, uh, or pre anticipatorily applied to Mary. The anticipatorily, um, thank you. But that also could be a unique exception because, you know, Mary. Mary. Um, <laughs> the Mary also, exception. <laughs> also, that's why I picked dinosaur days to avoid any potential collisions with other things in salvation history, like the God's redemption of the Jewish people. Of course. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So anything left to say in the faith nope. perspective on this? Okay. So on the reason perspective, um, I suppose we should divide uh, the time travel into two parts, future and past. Um, and uh, there are a number of different methods of travel to the future that are that are that we want to consider right yeah so it's certainly possible to to get to to kind of appear in a future moment without consciously going through all of that time and in fact we do that every night when we go to sleep okay you know we wake up in the morning without a conscious experience of the intervening time so some people have said oh well you could travel to the future by just putting yourself into a coma so you sleep longer Okay. The problem is, well, that would you'd you'd have this Rip Van Winkle problem. You know, while you might wake up with an awesome beard, you've also lost twenty <laughs> years of life. Right. And um, so, well, maybe there's another way you could be in suspended animation, so your biological processes slow down, and you could wake up in a neighboring star system without you know having to lose that twenty years of life. Um. Possible, but we don't yet have really good ways of suspending people and putting people in suspended animation so they don't age. We can do the coma thing, but suspended animation, not so much. Um, then there's the opportunity that Einstein gave us, which is relativistic spaceflight. If you uh, speed up, then you uh, time for you slows down. And so you could, and this is his famous twin paradox, you could take two twins, put one twin on a spaceship that flies very fast, close to the speed of light, and uh, when it comes back, only a small amount of time has passed for the twin who was the astronaut, but a large amount of time has passed for the twin who is still on Earth. So from the perspective of the astronaut twin, he got to a much further point in the future without experiencing all of that intervening time. He did experience some intervening time, but mm -hmm. not all that his twin did. 
Um, the um, the difficulty with this is quite possible. And in fact, we actually do this. Um, every time you get in an airplane, this happens. It's just microscopically small. Right. Same thing. Same thing happens with going up to the International Space Station or satellites or whatever. Um, but anytime you go faster, even in a car, this happens. It's just microscopic. And in order to do this in an impressive way, you need a really powerful ship because um, uh, even if you're traveling 90% of the speed of light, which is way faster than we can go now, mm-hmm. tw- 20 Earth years, for 20 Earth years to pass, it's still going to take nine years on ship. Right. So that's not much of a time savings. Right. Um, you'd have to have a ship that could get up to close to light speed really fast. And that means you'd probably also need anti-gravity <laughs> because if you're going to accelerate that fast, you're going to need anti-gravity to offset the acceleration forces um, that would otherwise crush you. Yeah, that would be uh, a very young looking schmear on that wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, then there's another way, which is a gravity based time machine, because when you get in a, a, a gravitational field, time slows down for you. And the deeper you are in the gravity well, the slower time is. That's why getting in an airplane, it not only goes faster, it also is higher and thus less deep in the Earth's gravity well. Mm. Um, so you could get on a plane or go to the space station and have time pass faster for you, but it's just going to be milliseconds. If you uh, went near a black hole, time could slow down for you even more. Or you could get in a in a gravity sphere. Uh, there's been a calculation done. If you had a sphere with the five times the mass of Jupiter and you got inside it, time would pass for you uh, four times uh, time outside of the sphere would pass four times faster than it does for you. So you could spend a year in the in the gravity sphere and four years would pass on the outside. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. All of these are not the fun ways of traveling to the future, though, <laughs> because they they're hard and they require you to in some way cover the intervening time. The really interesting way is just jumping over the present by using a wormhole. So that you enter one end of the wormhole in your own time and you exit the other end of the wormhole in the future. And so that's since that's also um, one of the key ways to talk about uh, time travel to the past. Why don't we transition to traveling to the past? Okay. And so there's five methods for traveling to the future. I understand there are Mm -hmm. six possible methods of traveling to the past. Uh, What's the first one? Yeah. Well, there's six we're going to talk about there. I'm sure there are others. But the first one is actually the first one that was proposed. Um, the mathematician Kurt Gödel, um, in 1949, proposed um, something called the Gödel metric, which is his reflection. He was he was a friend of Einstein, and he thought a lot. Even though he's a mathematician, he thought a lot about Einstein's theories and Einstein's equations, and he realized that Einstein's equations allowed for the possibility of time travel. If the universe has certain characteristics, if it is rotating and if it does not have Hubble expansion, so it's not growing the way astronomers think that it does. And back in 1949, uh, he proposed, okay, if the universe has these characteristics, then you could fly around the universe in a way that returned you to uh, to to a point in your past. And it's not saying it would be easy. But it would be possible. 
And so that was the first solution for time travel into the past that was rigorously scientifically proposed. Uh, subsequent observations have suggested that our universe does not have the characteristics needed for this kind of time travel. But there have been others proposed. Okay. One thing, this, so this is the second, one thing, and a lot of people have heard this one, is if you could travel faster than light, you could go into the past. Because, this is a simple way to put it, as you get closer and closer to the speed of light, then time slows down for you. When you hit the speed of light, time would stop. And if you could push faster than the speed of light, then time would start reversing for you, traveling in the opposite direction. And so if you could somehow travel faster than light, then you could uh, travel into the past. The difficulty is that um, as you, the, the way normal velocity works, as you travel closer to the speed of light, it requires more and more energy. And to hit the speed of light for any object with mass, it would require an infinite amount of energy to accelerate that mass to the speed of light. And therefore, it would require more than infinite energy to um, to push you past the speed of light and more than infinite energy does not exist. Mm. And so it, there there may be ways and we'll talk about this a little bit today and even more in the future in a future episode. There may be ways to travel faster than light, but they're going to involve shortcuts that don't just involve piling on more and more energy. Okay. Tachyons go faster than the speed of light, right? Tachyons would if tachyons exist. Uh -huh. Um, the current thinking on tachyons is they may have existed prior to the Big Bang or very early, but we don't have experimental evidence of them existing right now. Okay. So I was thinking if they, if there's a particle that exists that travels fast than the speed of light, is it traveling into the past? Yeah, well, mm -hmm. uh, potentially. And in fact, there's some proposal that that's exactly what antimatter is. Hmm. That an ant, so that a positron, an antimatter electron is an electron traveling backwards in time. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. All right, so the, that brings us to the third possibility. Mm -hmm. So that's traversable wormholes. Uh, the idea here is you've got a bend in space-time that connects two points. It's like a doorway. Um, and you arrange for one end of the wormhole to be at a different point, not just in space, but a different point in time. And there are various proposals for how you could do that. You could, for example, if you could create a, a traversable wormhole so it in your own time, so it connects two points in space, but they're in the same perspective in terms of time, they're in the same frame of reference, you could then take one of the ends of the traversable wormhole and move it into a gravity well so time slows down for it, or move it off really fast and so that time slows down for it, and then bring it back. And when you bring it back, it'll be the equivalent, uh, the equivalent of Einstein's twin paradox. You now have these twin ends of the wormhole. One of them is in your time, which is now considerably advanced from when you created the thing. And the other, because time slowed down for it, is, is in your past. So maybe the even though you created them both in your own frame of reference, now the other end of the wormhole is 500 years in the past. So you now have a way of leaping over that 500 years into the past. Or from the other perspective, 
if you're if you've gone through it, you could leap 500 years into the future um, without traversing the intervening, without having to experience the intervening time. Um, this is actually this kind of controlled wormhole thing. If you think about it, is actually kind of like how the TARDIS works on hmm. Doctor Who, because if you think about the TARDIS, the the doorway to the TARDIS is the wormhole. And you walk through it into this other point in space-time, which is why it's bigger on the inside. And then they move the other doorway through space and time. So when you step out of the wormhole, you're in another point in space and time. Hmm. So this is this is kind of like uh, the TARDIS is kind of like a sophisticated version of the traversable wormhole idea. The difficulty with traversable wormholes like this is they require something we don't have a lot of evidence for yet, which is negative energy. Um, negative energy, it, it, we're, and by that, I don't mean electrically negative. I mean, we have that. That's electrons are, have a negative electrical charge. Um, but from another perspective, all of the energy we have experienced customarily is positive. Um, and this is like the reverse of all of that. Um, and so, um, that's why, and it's different than antimatter. That's why right. it's not just called antimatter. It's called negative energy to distinguish it from antimatter. There is a little bit of evidence through something known as the Casimir effect, which I, I won't describe, but you can look it up, um, the, that suggests that negative energy may be something we can create. But you would need negative energy to do this kind of reversible, wor transversible wormhole thing. And we don't have good evidence for negative energy yet or a way to manipulate it. Some people have also pointed out that you might need to chain the wormholes. You might need a set of wormholes to do this because if you brought the two ends close enough to each other, it could collapse the thing. Mm. And so you might kind of need a daisy chain, like kind of like um, a subway system to travel. And again, with all that complexity and going to a special place, that could be why we haven't met time travelers. Okay. Okay. So that's that's the transversible wormhole. What what's yeah. the uh, the fourth uh, possible method? Uh, the next one is called a Tipler cylinder, and the idea here is if you had a dense, infinitely long spinning cylinder, then you could fly around it in a spiral, either t into the past or the future, um, depending on which way you're spiraling. Uh, the problem with a Tipler cylinder now it has to be infinitely long. Um, and it has to be spinning and it has to be dense. And ordinary matter is not strong enough to make a Tipler cylinder with. However, it is uh, conceivable that you could do this with what's called a cosmic string. A cosmic string is another hypothetical entity that has been proposed that may exist, but we haven't found yet. But if we can find a cosmic string, you might be able to use it as a time machine. Oh, by the way, one thing about the traversable wormholes, at least the versions I mentioned, um, you can't go back with that kind of time machine before the wormhole was created. Okay. This is because you had to, like, leave one of them in a gravity, leave one end in a gravity well, so time slowed down for it. So you could go back as far as as time has progressed for it but you which would be less than your point in history but you couldn't go back infinitely far in past because you're limited to just going out whenever that other wormhole dumps out into the wormhole dumps out at 
Which would be why and, we haven't met time travelers yet, then, if that were possible. Yeah, right. Okay. If we invent them in the future, none of that time machine wouldn't stretch back to our time because we haven't invented it yet. Um, and this is a characteristic of actually a number of these time machines. You may not be able to go back further than when the time machine was built. Okay. And then, uh, so that so the fourth was the Tipler cylinder. Uh, mm -hmm. What's the fifth one? The fifth one involves the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics, where a new timeline branches off at every possible event. Um, in 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 the way we experience reality, assuming this interpretation is correct, which is a big assumption. Mm -hmm. But if we were to assume that. This is correct. So every time an event happens, a new timeline branches off. We don't experience those alternate timelines. The uh, the way physicists sometimes say that is they've decohered with our timeline, and that prevents us from being able to experience what's happening in that alternate timeline. But you could imagine ways you could jump from one timeline to another, and um, and thus. You could interact with different timelines. This isn't really time travel. Mm. It's timeline travel. Right. It's the kind of thing where, as we mentioned, if you go back to when your grandfather was a, a boy before you were born and you've just created a new timeline by materializing because in the original timeline, you weren't there. Um, so it's timeline hopping or timeline travel rather than time travel per se, but it would have the effect from a subjective perspective of being time travel because you're back in your grandfather's time. Right. Exactly. Okay. The, the internet hasn't been invented. Your smartphone doesn't work anymore. <laughs> so, oh, of course. Uh, so then the sixth, uh, possibility is what? The Alcubierre drive. Um, this is a uh, proposal for how to travel faster than light uh, by a Mexican physicist named Alcubierre, who got the idea from Star Trek. Um, mm. He was watching Star Trek like a lot of physicists do, and he was thinking about warp drive and how warp drive must work because it, the name warp suggests, well, space is being warped and, or space time is being warped. And they talk about warp bubbles. And so could you bend space time in a way that would allow you to achieve the effect of traveling faster than light in a way that didn't involve you physically moving faster than light? Hmm. And so the, what he came up with was indeed something that involves warp bubbles. And he realized this is some, this, something like this is possible. What you do is you shrink, you warp space so that you shrink the space in front of you while expanding the space behind you. You, from your perspective, actually don't move. You're just bending the space. Hmm. And so you could take this, let's say you're in orbit around Earth and you want to go to Alpha Centauri because that's where the hot girls are. <laughs> it, it being a Star Trek universe. Star Trek, of you course. Know. Yes. Um, so you shrink the space between you and Alpha Centauri while expanding the space between you and Earth. And thus, you don't move at all, but from your point of view, but because of the spatial manipulation you've done, you achieve the effect of traveling faster than light, even though in your own local frame of reference, you don't travel at all. Um, so this is another thing that like involves 
some concepts in physics that are possible, but we don't have good evidence for, you know, the negative energy, that negative matter, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and there are also questions about would this like kill everything? Um, but those are technical matters. <laughs> um, if Alcubierre, if an Alcubierre drive could be built, it would have the ability to create closed time-like curves, and thus you would be able potentially to time travel with it. Although not necessarily by swinging around a black hole really fast. <laughs> right. To go get some whales. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, that's that seems sounds like the, the reason perspective, the five and then six uh, possible methods of traveling to the future and the past. Uh, Jimmy, what's your bottom line on this mystery then, on the mystery of time travel? Well, time travel to the future is certainly possible, at least like in the relativistic or other kind of mundane ways we talked about. Time travel to the past is not prohibited by the laws of physics so far as we know, and so it may well be possible. Um, both forms of time travel may be very hard to achieve, and so we may not ever actually develop practical ways of doing them in any substantial way. I mean, you can still get on a plane or go up to the space station and go a few milliseconds into the future when you come back, but that's right. not really impressive. Right. Great. So uh, if people wanted to find out some more and get some more of the, uh, the these resources, what, what do we have for them? Well, uh, to start out with, I have three uh, posts I did at JimmyAiken.com on the religious side of do the past, present and future exist. So you know, we'll have links to those. We also have the, the Wikipedia article on time travel, uh, a link. And this, this, these books will also be in the Mysterious World store at sqpn.com slash mysterious. One of them is Michio Kaku's. He's a physicist. All, In fact, all of these are by physicists. Um, Michio Kaku's book, The Physics of the Impossible, which is a really fun read. And one of the chapters is on time travel. He's also got uh, chapters on a lot of other really fun things. Another is Brian Clegg's book, How to Build a Time Machine which is obviously specifically focused on the time machine question. And also Paul Davies's book also called How to Build a Time Machine. <laughs> um, so uh, they have a more practical focus. And uh, those will be the resources for today. Awesome. Uh, actually, folks, if you go to MysteriousWorldStore.com, that'll take you right to our bookstore uh, on our oh, website. Good. So then uh, we have some feedback we wanted to share from, from listeners um, on our uh, near-death experiences episode from a couple weeks ago uh that was dave, number 27 number 27 dave from facebook he writes on our facebook page uh hey number 27 happy six month anniversary uh or half year anniversary uh mysterious world he says yay thank you jimmy and dom you're welcome yeah dave. indeed and i i i thought about um have i, I i'd wanted to mention our six month anniversary but it got beyond me when we actually recorded episode 27. So yeah, we've been going for half a year now awesome. and and don't worry, we're not even close to running out of ideas. I think the idealist currently has about 8 years on it. So <laughs> yes. And they still they're still coming. There's so many great mysteries out there to cover. Uh so and then our on our episode on astrology, uh American Berean comments on YouTube says stellar presentation. Ah, a little Wordplay there, stellar presentation on the astronomy <laughs> on the astrology episode. Thank you. Pun acknowledged. Uh, Dave uh, writes on YouTube on the same uh, astrology uh, episode. Says uh, I don't know. By and large, birth and month and personality seem to correlate. 
but gravity's not magic. Uh, and then uh, Leon uh, comments right after him, says, uh, and that makes a certain amount of sense just based on certain seasonal commonalities of experience between such in individuals. I've seen studies showing statistically significant height variance based on birth month, at least in places with real winters. Why should personality not have a similar variance? What do you think, Jimmy? I, I think this is an interesting argument. Um, I don't think that it wouldn't be gravity from stars and planets that would produce seasonal personality variations based on on birth. Mm -hmm. um, there, I can't rule out the possibility there would be some kind of uh, variation, especially due to things like winter and summer and when they arrive relative to your birth and what foods are available and what what's your mom eating when you're breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just haven't seen such studies, but I'm not at all close to the possibility. And if uh, Leon or anybody uh, wants to send uh, links to mysterious at sqpn.com, I'd be happy to take a look at such studies. Mm. I would suspect that, um, you know, while such effects might be real, they'd likely be fairly modest in right. scope. Um, but I wouldn't rule out the possibility that uh, there is something like that. You know, we know that like the amount of light that we're exposed to has an effect on our bodily hormones and the amount of light that you get exposed to if unless you're living near the equator is going to vary significantly at different times of year. So with hormonal changes affecting developing infants, sure, maybe, but yeah. I'd like to see the data. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, several people recommended uh, Weird Al Yankovic's song that that's your horoscope for today yeah. <laughs> in relation to astrology. So uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So you can yeah, he has some listen. unusually specific predictions based on on your star <laughs> sign. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, on our uh, weight loss episode, the mysteries of weight loss, uh, Ryan sent us an email to mysterious at sqpn dot com. He says, I love your show, especially your episode on weight loss. I'm down six pounds in about a week since trying Yay. intermittent fasting. Uh, my question is, would you ever consider a follow up episode at some future date on fasting in itself? I think it would be fascinating to hear from a science and re you know, slash reason perspective on its value and also from the church's ancient wisdom in support of fasting. Yeah, I'm definitely open to that and uh, need to think about the way to do it, because we normally try to, you know, we try to have a balance of the faith and reason perspectives, and uh, we need to think about the way to do that. But I'm definitely open to doing it in the future, in part because I want to periodically re- expose uh, people to the idea um, because it's been so successful for me. I want other people to find success as well. And as we gain new members in the audience, uh, I'd like to have, you know, them to have a chance to hear about it as well. Yeah, that's excellent. Uh, Jim, uh, also writing to mysterious at sqpn.com says, uh, I want to thank you for the episode, the mystery of weight loss. This show has been literally an answer to my prayers. I've lost nearly 20 pounds since beginning intermittent fasting on January 5th, but even better, I've experienced fewer aches and pains, more energy, and a much better mood at work. I feel out of regained charge of my life. I've listened to every episode of Mysterious World, but my experience has prompted me to become a patron. Thank you so much, Jim. We really appreciate your support uh, as a patron. Uh Folks can sign up at uh, sqpn.com slash give if they want to become a patron. The The best thing, though, is hearing about your uh, your success with this, because I know I felt the same thing. It's like suddenly after years of struggling, I'm back in charge of my weight 
And it was a huge relief to me. I was amazed at how easy it was. And um, and I want to let people know this email from Jim. He said he's lost 20 pounds since January 5th. By the time you hear this, it'll be March. But actually, we got this email from him quite a bit earlier than that. It just we pre-record these shows. Right. So it, he lost 20 pounds in a in a very quick amount of time. Right. So, um, so, uh, awesome for you, Jim. And thank God, uh, that you found something that is working for you. Excellent. Uh, so, and then, uh, we have some mysterious headlines this week, Jimmy. Yeah, just a couple. Um, one of them is about ghost apples, uh, in Western Michigan. Mm. And there's a, this is a link to a video on YouTube. What happened was a guy went out now in Western Michigan. It apparently gets cold. <laughs> and and ice forms. And so he went out to like prune his apple trees and there was ice on the apple trees. But then he would find these apples that were just an ice shell with no apple inside it. And um, and apparently what happened now, his theory is that it, it, it was it was cold enough that the ice remained, but warm enough that the apple rotted. And so when he went to um to prune the trees, the shaking caused the apple to ooze out, leaving just the ice. But one way or another, you got these cool apple-shaped ice shells. So check out the ghost apples of Western Michigan. It's a really <laughs> short video. Also have an article on, we have some scientific evidence for sleep learning. Um, this is something, I, when I was growing up, this was a big deal, sleep learning. And I tried mm -hmm. it, and it totally didn't work. And what they did in this study was they they played tapes for people while they were asleep that taught them nonsense words and 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 gave them the definitions of these words so they like made up a language so it wouldn't be based on like someone already knowing german or already knowing spanish or something like that uh having some subconscious memory of another language um so these were made up words, they made up a language, gave these words definitions, played them for people. And upon waking, the people who had the words who weren't in the control group um, had a slightly above random chance understanding of those words. So <laughs> Slightly above so random. <laughs> little, little bit of sleep learning turns out to be possible. Okay. Uh, so kids don't do that for your finals in class <laughs> yeah want to do a little more yeah all right excellent thanks for those headlines uh so before we close out we'd like to take a moment to thank uh, as we have several times but we can't thank them enough our patrons who make this show possible uh and today we want to thank by name uh cindy m daniel c sally h gregory f and darius m it's through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give that they make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows we do at sqpn.com. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think about this mystery of time travel? What, what's your response to what we've discussed? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page and leave us some feedback on the show there. You can also send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or send a tweet to at mys underscore world which with the hashtag hashtag of uh, mysterious feedback please remember to like this episode on uh, jimmy akin's mysterious world on facebook and retweet it on twitter uh where we're uh, at sqpn or at 
M-Y-S underscore world. Uh, that helps spread the, the, the word about the episode. And if you have not yet done so, please subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app. I, I like Overcast. Uh, a lot of people like Pocket Cast. Uh, and as you know, we all also post it on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications. And you'll find the links to all of our uh, resources that Jimmy mentioned earlier and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest. <laughs>